Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Pediapod for May 2020. This month, a new composite measure of screen use in children. The modern environment in which children grow up is characterised by increasing amounts of screen-based media. And with the wide uptake of portable devices, children face unprecedented access to screens. It was recently estimated that children between the ages of 3 and 8 got almost 3 hours a day. The American Academy of Pediatrics have recommendations for screen-based media, based on studies into the cognitive, behavioural and health risks of too much screen time. These recommendations focus on four variables – access to screens, frequency of use, content and grown-up child interaction, or co-viewing. Dr John Hutton from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Centre and his team have created a composite measure of these variables, reflecting current modes of screen-based media use. He's also Paediatric Research's highlighted early career investigator this month, and he joined me on the line to talk me through this new tool called ScreenQ. Here's John. So I'm Dr John Hutton. I'm a primary care paediatrician. I currently live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Went to medical school at University of Cincinnati and did my medical training at Cincinnati Children's. My current role is as director of the Reading and Literacy Discovery Center at Cincinnati Children's, where we use all kinds of methods to better understand how reading develops in the brain of children and what can go wrong setting them up to struggle. Um, A related issue that we've really gotten into is the role of screen time. Uh, What happens when books and other types of experiences for kids are presented through digital media? And that not only drives from my interest as a pediatrician, but also as a dad. I'm a father of um, three girls. Some grew up with more media, some grew up with less, but we all read together when they were little. And and that's that's something that really gets me very interested in in helping make sure that kids from all different backgrounds have access to books and reading and and are using the digital media in a a smart way so they grow up healthy and connected with their grown-ups. The speed of change has been so drastic, hasn't it, in terms of the availability of screen-based media for children these days? It's been absolutely unprecedented. You know, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to have grown up at a time when, you know, there were three TV channels and, you know, pretty much when the weather was nice, I was outside playing in the dirt and, you know, just how dramatically things have have shifted now where it's hard to be a parent because there's so many other things for kids to do, no matter what the weather, and they can even take these devices with them when they get in the car or when they are eating dinner together. And um, 
I've heard it compared to a, a, a huge uncontrolled experiment where we've really fundamentally transformed how children grow up, especially young children, um, in terms of access to these technologies, and then um, are expecting only good things to happen. And that's not to say all bad things will happen, but we just don't know what all this is going to mean because the technology evolves so much quicker than the science can keep up. Is this just a generational thing about feeling uneasy about this new way of consuming media and and exposing it to young children? Or, you know, are there any objective measures that suggest that it is a worrying trend? A lot of the research currently involves television, which has been around for, you know, 40 years. And people have been wringing their hands about that for a long time. And some probably is generational where, you know, not everything about screens is bad. I mean, they're probably, you know, we have access to more information than we ever have at our fingertips. But I do also think that at some point we're going to bump up against some evolutionary constraints in terms of how our brains evolve to develop and learn optimally. So the American Academy of Pediatrics has had a guideline since 1999. They were last revised in 2016. The biggest change in the most recent guidelines was really trying to account for portable devices, you know, things like iPads and tablets that kids carry around. But the current guidelines incorporate four main domains of use. Uh, One is access, which is where is the screen? How is the child accessing it? The second is frequency, you know, how often are they using it? And then one is content. And then there's um, co-viewing, which is, is the media being used with a grown-up? Because if the media presented on a screen creates a conversation between a grown-up and a child and they can talk about what they're watching or playing, then that could be healthy where, you know, it creates a conversation and the opportunity for learning. So those are the current AAP guidelines. The World Health Organization also recently issued guidelines last year that were more restrictive. They were more cautionary. And their guidelines really discourage screen viewing under about age five. Um, The AAP restricts under about 18 months. What are those AAP guidelines actually based on? What kinds of studies? So the AAP guidelines currently are based exclusively on behavioral studies. Um, There's really no brain imaging studies or other things that are really incorporated into those. They do reference brain development, but most of the evidence, if not all of it, is what we call correlational, which is um, drawing associations between, well, kids that are watching more television at in infancy tend to have... um, you know, more risk of mental health problems later on. They tend to engage with their parents a little less often and can have lower language development. But there really haven't been a lot of of really long-term longitudinal studies to show the more broad range of impacts of of screen viewing at, at younger ages. So we're here today to talk about a new composite measure of some of those different categories of measurements of screen-based media use. Could you just start off by telling me what you see as the kind of evidence gap that you are hoping to fill with this? Yeah, so the screen queue was actually developed as a composite to reflect the current AAP guidelines and to really capture not just one domain of use, um, such as, you know, how many minutes per day is a child on screen, but all those different aspects, the four domains, the access, frequency, content, and co-viewing. It's currently 15 items, and um, a higher score on the screen queue reflects greater non-adherence with the guidelines. When you do devise a composite measure like this, what are you hoping to get from a test drive? In our current study, I mean, we were really looking at the psychometric properties of the measure. There are different aspects of that that are important. There's sort of what we call the internal psychometrics, you know, how well do the questions in the measure work together to really answer the same question. The other 
property of a measure that's important is what we call external validity, which is, you know, how well does the construct predict or correlate with something out in the real world that it's supposed to predict? And so what we used in this study was we wanted to see, do the scores on the screen queue predict what we know about risks of screen time? Specifically, uh, we know that that higher screen time is related to language delay. We know it's related to um, some issues with school and literacy Um, And we know it's related to different aspects of executive functions. So we administered in our study validated measures of of those different constructs along with the screen queue. And we wanted to see, does a higher score on the screen queue correlate with worse performance on these different measures? And that's what we found in our study, that it seems like language scores tend to be lower, literacy scores tend to be lower, executive function tends to be worse. And they all um, had, had really significant correlations with one another. I'm guessing since the aim of Screen Queue is to kind of reflect the guidelines that themselves are based on research, I'm guessing you're not surprised by those results. Correct. And in terms of our hypotheses, what we had predicted, you know, was based on the evidence in the AAP guidelines, which do convey evidence that higher screen time has been associated with lower language scores, with worse executive function, with less reading and lower literacy scores. That was sort of anchored our hypothesis that we think these relationships should hold up um, when we compare the screen queue to scores on these other measures, and that's what we found. Is any of this controversial? Are any of the AAP guidelines controversial? And, and are you saying that kids should be growing up in kind of screenless homes? It's a really good question. Um, a lot of this issue does tend to divide people. It's a very nuanced issue. One of the roots of controversy is just we have so much research yet to do to really better characterize use over a longer period of time involving all different kinds of measures such as brain imaging and and other things. The AAP guidelines themselves are controversial in the sense that certain aspects of them are more evidence-based than others. Some aspects are are more controversial, such as the relationship with language. You know, we we know that early use tends to be associated with worse language development, but is that because of the screen itself or is it because families aren't talking to their kids as much because the screen ends up displacing that parent-child relationship? My view has always been more cautionary in the sense that, you know, we know that zero to five is when the brain is developing most rapidly. You know, that's when kids are most vulnerable both to risks and benefits of screens. There really isn't a lot of great evidence that screens are healthy at that age. Um, There's some evidence that it invites risk. So my view is we should be really view it more like um, something like driving a car, which is that, you know, kids can drive a car when they're eight years old, but it may not be the healthiest thing for them. Um, And it probably makes more sense for them to wait till they're 16, you know, something along the lines of readiness being the factor that we take into account. The tragedy is that actually screens can be very useful, can't they, in a highly stressful parenting situation? And I think that's a really important consideration. I mean, the point for this isn't, and this came up in in our publication, was um, the point isn't to make families feel guilty or to be um, absolutist about it. Um, Screens work in a lot of ways. I think that, you know, like you said, if the family needs a break, if they need to cook dinner, screens are not like radiation in the sense that they're directly toxic to the child. I mean, there are certain aspects that are potentially harmful, such as interfering with sleep or if the content's really age inappropriate, if it's violent and, and traumatizing the child in some way. But mostly the effect of screen time is, is that displacement, you know, where it gets in the way of parent-child interacting. If there are researchers listening to this who think that something like ScreenQ would be a really useful tool for them, is it open source? 
Yeah, in the study, there's a link to my email address. And so anyone that wants to use it can send me an email and we send it out that way. It's not currently on a website or anything where it can be downloaded in an unrestricted way. It is definitely free of charge to use, um, but just to send me an email and we can hopefully work together. That was Dr. John Hutton from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. That's it for this episode. Join us again next month for the next edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.